Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the May 2nd, 2023 episode of Unchained. If you've been enjoying Unchained, please leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast or share this episode with a friend. Buy, trade, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Today's topic is staking and restaking on Ethereum. Here to discuss are Sri Ramkanan, founder of Eigenlayer, and Konstantin Lomoshuk, co-founder of P2P.org and Lido. Welcome, Sri Ram and Konstantin. Hi, Laura. Pleasure to be here. Hi, Laura. We are coming off a successful completion of Ethereum's transition to proof of stake. And that was um, through the successful Shanghai upgrade, which enabled withdrawals of staked Ether. How would you each characterize the current staking landscape today? What are the main issues and what are the next developments you think are necessary? Uh, Why don't we start with you, Sriram? It's been super exciting to see both the merge and the withdrawals enabled. So now... Ethereum is a complete system, you know, for all practical purposes. Anything you want, you can do on the system. Um, <clears throat> I'm quite excited about uh, the both the merge and the withdrawals because now I think uh, if from our point of view, what it does is you can now build general purpose systems on top of Ethereum because staking, which allows for both positive and negative penalties to be built on top and a general purpose programming language, which is the EVM come together. And so I think we have this fusion of like two superpowers. One is the incentive mechanism and the programming ability. So that's something I'm excited about. And I think there are a lot of very interesting developments happening in the staking space, Uh, liquid staking to begin with, and then DVT, which enables many, many validators to come together and participate in it. And I'm sorry, DVT? A distributed validator technology, which is basically the idea that many nodes can work together and act as a single unit as far as Ethereum is concerned. But inside that unit, actually, there is like many nodes which are working together in like a union. So it's like taking a single validator in Ethereum, which requires 32 ETH, which may be a lot of money for many people to participate. And in further democratizing this, the idea that many people put in maybe one ETH and 32 of them form a group, and then they can all like, from the Ethereum's point of view, they look like one node having 32 ETH, and they all come to consensus on everything. So these are like really fascinating developments, both liquid staking and DVT. And I think uh, I would like to think that Eigenlayer or restaking is in this category of really interesting things, because now 
with something like Eigenlayer, what you can do is use the security of Ethereum and the power that you know these staking protocols bring to supply it to very flexibly to any kind of new protocol that can then be built on top of it. So that's that's what I'm very excited about. Yeah, first of all, you know, like I want uh, to congrats everyone, you know, like who participated in it. It's uh, like developers, core developers, it is tools developers, it's uh, clients developers, you know, like, and, you know, like this, I mean, like, it took about two and a half years. So like Beacon Chain launched in uh, uh, December of 2020. And, you know, like, uh, and withdrawals is like, finish this loop of upgrade when all flow of staking, all, almost all flow of staking is working right now. And uh, this is exciting for all Ethereum community and everyone, you know, like who believe in like trustless virtual machines that can work in the internet. But it's still your question was about challenges <laughs> and also like not only like good things, but also we have still a lot of issues. I mean, one is like a decentralization. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, like an issue in staking uh, and uh, the question how uh, this network can be even more decentralized. Uh, second is like white labeling, you know, like this is a lot of nodes who use different brands, but running by the same people. It's still, you know, like MEV issues, you know, like that's still here. One of the things that can make liquid staking better and other Staking products better when withdrawals can be initiated by uh, users who staked. Because for now, it's, it's impossible and only validators can unstake. But this still a lot and it's a lot of work. Uh, but, you know, like what was achieved, it's really great, you know, like and how it's happened without any like big issues. So, congrats, everyone. So I think now that we've made this full transition to this system, there's a lot of thought around different things that can happen um, using stake. And obviously, like with Lido, that was, you know, one of the early new ideas around what could be done with that. But I actually want to start this part of the discussion talking about Eigenlayer because there has been a lot of chat about it. And so, um, Sriram, why don't you just give us an explanation of what it is? Yes, just starting with the name Eigenlayer, uh, Eigen in German for your own. It's your own layer. You can build anything on top of Ethereum security. So if you look at like uh, the evolution of Ethereum, like when Ethereum started, the major like jump was the idea that anybody can build an application and tether it to a common security zone, right? Of course, the technical thing that was done in Ethereum was to create a general purpose programming language. But I think the fundamental innovation is not that. The fundamental innovation is creating a shared security marketplace. The idea that there is a common shared security pool, like, you know, Ethereum nodes can actually validate now any application that can be built on top. So I like to think of this as kind of like the first modular blockchain. So it basically modularized the idea of, you know, uh, application as distinct from the trust zone, which is Ethereum. And when you see the evolution going forward, you see from there successive opening up of the innovation landscape. And I think layer twos are a major paradigm shift there. The idea is now that not only you can write an application and tether it on top of this EVM virtual machine, but you can have like a whole chain which you validate yourself and then prove that the chain was validated correctly back to Ethereum. 
And so this was the layer two landscape, which broadened the scope of Ethereum. And I think, you know, the underlying ethos there is really actually, you know, inspiring that Ethereum took this step. It's a leap of faith to take because, you know, you come in and say, oh, now, you know, it's not Ethereum running everything. Nothing is running natively on layer one. All these layer twos are going to run it. And it requires like an immense faith in the power of free markets and open innovation to actually take that leap. And many of us thought that this is a pretty crazy leap of faith to take, but actually just paid off massively because you you have these absolutely powerhouse projects which are now built on top of this like one framework, which would never have been possible if it was only Ethereum and one protocol and there's an enshrined like sharding or whatever other techniques. This is just much better. So I think that's the second step. And I think the way we envision Eigenlayer is as an even broadening of the innovation landscape. So what cannot be built with just layer tools today can be built with Eigenlayer. So what is the idea? The idea is the root of trust of Ethereum is coming from staking. You're putting down stake and you're saying that you're validating Ethereum blocks correctly. So that is the root of trust. If we can take this root of trust and supply it to anybody who wants to build, let's say, a new consensus protocol. I want to build a new consensus protocol. I want to build a new Oracle. I want to build a new data availability. I want to build a new bridge. I want to build a new MEV management system. Anything. And then say that, hey, already I have a root of trust here. Like people are staking and then making commitments that they're going to make Ethereum blocks correctly. And what Eigenlayer does is ask the staker if they want to opt in to Eigenlayer. I'll explain later the technical details of how you opt in. But when you're opting into Eigenlayer, essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not only validating Ethereum blocks, now I'm validating potentially new services built on top of Eigenlayer. The services could be any of the things that I mentioned, new chains, oracles, data availability, data storage, anything that you can think of, which requires N nodes to do the calculation. So now you opt in to such a system. And when you opt into Eigenlayer, what you have to do is you have to download and run whatever other software. So in addition to running your ETH node software, now you can run all these other node software. If you're running Eigenlayer, you're not running all the services on top. You pick and choose which set of services you want to run on top. It's an opt-in marketplace. And so now what it does is whenever you have a new idea for how to build a new distributed system, a new chain, a new Oracle, any of these things, you don't have to go and find your own trust network. You can just come and avail of this massive existing trust network, Ethereum, and then just plug your like system on top of it. So you can have, you know, uh, all of these services, ecosystem services for Ethereum, which are powered natively by Ethereum staking. So that is the uh, vision that we have. It's part of why we call it Eigenlayer. Anybody can build anything they want on top of this, you know, common framework. And we think Ethereum is the natural home for something like this because Ethereum has shown again and again that it's committed to the principles that we are very uh, passionate about, which is open innovation, credible neutrality, decentralization, censorship resistance, all of these things. So that's the, uh, yeah, that's what I can learn. Would it be fair to say that it's kind of similar to the Polkadot model where there's all these different parachains, but then they share security at the base layer? Because that's what came to mind for me. That is absolutely a, a reasonable comparison. So there are some dimensions where it's, exactly the same in some dimensions where it's not the same. One dimension where the Polkadot model is different is Polkadot is not opt-in. So everybody who is in in the Polkadot relay chain will validate all the parachains. 
So there is a kind of enshrined mechanism. So there's no opt-in there. That's, that's one difference. The second difference is you can, because it's not opt-in, you cannot opt into arbitrary like slashing things. You're opting into like a very narrow scope, which, which itself, you know, you can run basically any virtual machine, but you cannot run an Oracle with Polkadot security. You cannot run a new distributed storage protocol with Polkadot security. You cannot run a new consensus protocol with Polkadot security. So there is some constraint. I would compare the Polkadot parachain model much more to the layer two paradigm. So in layer twos borrow exactly Ethereum security, but only for running new virtual machines. And so that's what, but it's a more enshrined mechanism for doing it. Whereas Eigenlayer is much, much more flexible. Any distributed system you can think of, you can just run it there and you could borrow aspects of Ethereum security. And sometimes you will borrow a subset of Ethereum security, but sometimes this is something insane. You can borrow a superset of Ethereum security and I, I can come come up talk about that later. Okay, I'm going to put a note to myself to ask you about that later because one other comment that I want to make is I sort of feel like Lido is a way to reuse stake for the user, but Eigenlayer is a way to reuse stake for um, developers, something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how it comes... We are definitely doing complementary things, and I think I, I I have like one point of view there, but I'm sure Constantine has uh, some interesting thoughts there. Too. Yeah, Constantine, what do you think? Yeah, first of all, I should make a disclosure that I am investor in Angular because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, but I will still challenge you know like Sriram <laughs> to make it more interesting. Yeah, uh, first of all, you know like we should not forget about risk. You know like when you run Ethereum, it is a risk of flashing. When you start to run other uh, uh, protocols, it's also like adding you additional risk. And uh, my, my thinking here is that what is Eigenlayer doing is like risk-taking feature. Yeah, so like some type of, for example, large protocols can do risk-taking by themselves. You know, for example, I don't know, we can imagine that TK Sync or like second layer, they can just use withdrawals or ask users to give withdrawals from their validation nodes to them straight and uh, do it. But for smaller protocols, you know, like, and to, and also like for big tail and also for some big one, Eigenware is the best solution, can be the best solution. Why? Because they make a marketplace around that. So you don't need to like bring additional stake and work with their stakers. You can just you know, like use the marketplace. And uh, in case of our staked Ethereum, I think that it, it's kind of reused inside of Eigenlayer. So you can not use ETH, you can use re or staked ETH, for example. And uh, also, you know, like you can uh, also like it can be an option that LIDAR can make any type of integration with Eigenlayer, you know, like more deep or like it can make straight with other protocols. So I, risk-taking is a mechanic, you know, like how you can take more risk. But don't forget when you get money for something, like when you get rewards, for example, for doing job, you get additional risk <laughs> and nothing is free. So Constantine, what are some of the risks that you're thinking of for different types of projects or chains that are thinking about using restaking for security? Yeah, first of all, you know, like uh, oh, staking has... I mean, what is staking? Staking is a mechanic where person 
or like uh, a protocol lock capital uh, for some time and uh, do some job, you know, like, for example, running a node uh, of Ethereum protocol and uh, then get some risk because uh, and get rewards, you know, like, and all these things are usually (laughs) important, yes. And uh, in case of Ethereum, the risk is slashing or losing of rewards. And uh, you can, uh, if you, uh, uh, in, in some edge cases, you can lose all your ease when you stake your ease, yes. And when you restake, you add additional risk, and it depends on the protocol. You know, for example, Bridges has one type of risk, or, uh, Oracles has another type of risk, Layer 2s, or like or Sequencers has another risk. So like, and it, but can you give some examples of what those risks look like for those different types of projects? Yeah, for, for, for example, if you secure uh, some type of uh, oracles or bridges, or, I mean, first of all, depends how like the protocol developers will pack it. For example, if, and what type of risk uh, a restaking will secure. If this, for example, a, a risk or a, a, a bug of protocol, maybe like restaking will not cover it. And the question is, who makes this that decision? If it is a risk, for example, you want to delegate risk of uh, some type of bridges and bridge is exploited by some reason, for example, validators did this attack, then you can lose part of your capital if you put it under the risk. And so on, you know, like the question is, when you get reward, you get for some job or like for for the risk. And uh, if you get these rewards, the question is how to... Participate, and I mean, in case of, for example, Eigenlayer, the user will choose with which protocols and which, or like operators, who will run this nodes. You know, like we work with. Why? Because, uh, uh, I, I, and, and for example, they can you try to use the most safest or the most most bigger with most biggest reward. So, Sriram, how would you respond to these concerns about risks? No, these are real. Uh, the idea that basically, you know, I think Constantine stated already, what you're doing with staking and restaking is, I we think of it just as making staking more programmable. So you're basically like now, you know, normally when you're staking, you're subjecting yourself to Ethereum slashing risk, right? Which is if you don't validate your blocks correctly, then, you know, or there was a bug in the Ethereum protocol. There's an R of those two conditions, right? Like then you would lose your stake, Right. So let's take the simple scenario where the code is all correct. The If under that circumstance, actually the risk profile is only you lose money only if you didn't fulfill the conditions, the covenants of the Ethereum protocol correctly. So in some sense, I think while there is risk, the risk profile of validation is fundamentally different from DeFi risk. So in DeFi, when you're putting a, putting your like, stake teeth or any other token into like an LP, into Uniswap or a compound or any of these things, essentially you are underwriting price risk. The price can fluctuate and price risk is exogenous. Like you have nothing to say about it. You have no control on whether the price is going to go up 10x step, you know, or 10%. Like this is not something endogenous to the person who's putting the capital in. Whereas validation risk, if you assume the protocol code is correct, is endogenous like by doing more and more like 
by running a distributed validator group, by ma basically making sure you're running better and better protocols, you can drastically reduce the risk. So I think validation is a different class of risk and DeFi is a different class of risk. So that's the first thing I want to say. Inside validation, you have like two aspects to risk. One is risk due to your own, you know, misbehavior. And the other is the risk due to protocol errors. And I think, but if you know how to do the operation for that protocol correctly, then basically you can very much minimize the first risk. And what remains is the second risk, which is that the protocol has an error. And so, you know, we try to think a lot about like how to minimize the staker's exposure to protocol errors. In fact, the way I think about like how liquid staking and something like Eigenlayer or complementary is that, you know, liquid staking, the hardest thing that, you know, a protocol like Lido or Rocket Pool or any of these things have to do is to figure out how to imbue trust in the validators. Like that is the hard part. For something like Eigenlayer, we see the complement is the hard part. The complement is how do you induce trust in a new distributed system, in a new distributed protocol? That is the hard part. And that is our specialty in some sense, is figuring out what is the protocol configuration? What is the slashing? And this is very, very particular to like, this is like a deep understanding of the distributed system and the slashing conditions that go into each of the distributed systems. And you ask Constantine about like, how would you think about risks in, uh, in these different examples? I'll give a simple example. Let's say an Oracle. You can build an Oracle. So Oracle is basically like a price, right? Let's say just you want to report BTC to USD price on Ethereum. And you say, okay, I want to get the Ethereum nodes to participate in this. There are many different ways of building the Oracle. Each of them lead to like completely different kinds of validation risk. So I'll give three examples of actually how you can build an Oracle. One example is you will get slashed if your price report is very different from the majority price. I say Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is like, you know, a one, one USD, whereas most people are saying <laughs> one Bitcoin is 30,000 USD, then like, of course, like, you know, I'll get slashed, right? So this is For one sure. example of slash. <laughs> For sure, right? Well, so deviation from majority is one kind of slash. Another kind of slashing is, you know, when you all vote on something, then you bring in like a much more trusted group, you know, which may be a DAO or like reputed people in the community, whatever, like some other thing. And if they say something different, then you could get slashed. So that's another kind of slashing. A third kind of system would have no slashing. It'll just take them aggregate as many distinct opinions as possible and then just present the majority opinion as like a price oracle. So these three systems have very, very different risk profiles. For example, in the first system, the risk profile is if you disagree with the majority, you would get slashed. What if a majority quoted one Bitcoin as one USD and you quoted one Bitcoin as 30,000 USD? You are right, but you may still lose your fund. So the trust model is you are taking a risk on the majority opinion. The second model is you're taking a risk on the DAO opinion. Like the DAO says something and you you disagree with the DAO. You may be right. Then the DAO may be lying out of their teeth like, and you may lose your funds. So that's the second model. In the third model, there is no, no slashing. So actually, so this exposes like what I think uh, Constantine was talking about earlier, which is risk is very nuanced when you're operating into new kinds of distributed systems. And calibrating and understanding this is one of the main roles we see for Eigenlayer is understanding how to build new distributed systems with proper slashing conditions where you are not subjecting yourself to undue risk. But of course, it's an open market. We, we believe in permissionless innovation where many people can come and build these things. 
and we try to balance you know how much openness we have with how much safety conscious we can be and there may be like two tiers where one tier is more trusted and you know has been more vetted and other tier is anybody can build anything and there'll be like different risk profiles on these these kinds of things. so that's absolutely how we think about it there is a large category of things where you do not need to take undue risk because you know validation risk like i pointed out is actually much more tightly constrained than something like defi risk and we think this would be the next frontier so when you when you look at yield stacking like where do you get additional yield you get yield from ethereum what is the next level of like marginally additional risk that you can take that will actually give you like productive value i think that's where we want to place ourselves is validation and all the things and and i think this is another thing we want to clarify is we are not a defi protocol we are not a liquid token like it, it's it, what eigenlayer is building is very different from what a liquid staking is building or what a defi protocols so we do not envision on eigenlayer the core feature is people set their withdrawal credential and then you borrow against that's not what we are envisioning eigenlayer what we are envisioning eigenlayer to be is a universal validation marketplace come here you can get you can participate and get validated for many many different things and and, and it's a double opt in double opt in is staker has to opt in to the service the service has to opt in to the staker and both of them have their own subjective preferences which meet and merge to actually make the market so it brings much more of a free market dynamic than what we have today Oh wait, so now I understand. So sorry, when different projects decide that they want to use eigenlayer for their stake, then they also can select specific validators and they don't have to just use all the same validators as Ethereum. That is correct. And this is va- what I meant by like where we had an asterisk earlier which is sometimes you can get more security than Ethereum. That's a rather insane thing to say. Why would we think that? Because when one of the things that you may want is i only want like 1000 very decentralized nodes let's say this is some some special use case as an example i do secret sharing i take a secret split it into small chunks and send it into 1000 nodes now i really want to know that these 1000 nodes don't collude with each other otherwise the secret will be exposed so what i'm doing is i want to find like you know 1000 dispersed nodes and maybe you know you select home stakers in ethereum and i want to just send it to them because it's a very dispersed group they're not coordinated i i have a question here yeah like how you will choose well, solo validators or home validators because it can be a data but if you will use it for airdrops or like for some type of utility i mean it, it will be maybe it's already people who are running you know like thousand word or nodes and using different ips different data centers to you know like the same is airdrops you know like people are do like couple people i mean like uh, running or thousands of accounts you know like in arbitrum and then get this airdrops and nobody can understand because it's really difficult and the same as this people even make kyc you know like for example in different network like solana for example they have a validation program and uh, solana is delegating to you know like uh, uh, unique validators for example and uh, but to our it's known information that it is some people who are running like 20 nodes for Solana and use different identities and this is an issue they just use maybe like all nodes or other white label service and they're cheat with KYC you know like and the question is you know like how in permissionless sense resistant network you know like choose 
the data, you know, like that, that you can check? Yeah, this is a great question. I think Eigenlayer itself does not take any position on who's more decentralized or who's less decentralized. Mm-hmm. Eigenlayer is, a, we want to be a neutral platform. That's what Eigenlayer is. On top of Eigenlayer, we expect people will build more subjective services. One of the framework that we employ a lot when designing Eigenlayer is a paradigm we call intersubjectivity. Intersubjectivity is the idea that there are like many many subjective decisions is a consequence of many people interacting with each other rather than the subjectivity being enforced by the platform. So the platform doesn't say, oh, Lido is more centralized or less centralized because, you know, in some sense, it's more decentralized. In some sense, it's less decentralized. And that is not a position for Eigenlayer to take. But what we believe is that services building on top of Eigenlayer can make that judgment. Each of them have their own judgment, their own ideas, and their own purposes. Somebody may say, I only want KYC validators, and that's up to them. Somebody may say, I only work geographically distributed validators. I don't care if it's the same guy running it all over the world. One of the services coming on top of Eigenlayer is called a proof of location service. So proof of location service lets the nodes kind of like use latency and other thing to kind of figure out, use the Ethereum nodes to figure out the distribution, like the latencies and geographic distribution of other nodes. And so you can have very interesting protocols like this, which can offer services that other services may then rely on. There is no universal answer to this question. And just like each one has a subjective opinion on what is enough decentralization, that's exactly what we expect. And in fact, there will be places where people don't want decentralization. So this is another important thing we need to understand is for some of the things, you want just economic trust. I just want like $5 billion of like staking. That is all I care about. Because if that was wrong, I can slash the $5 billion. I don't care if it is one guy putting up $5 billion or like 5 million people putting up $1,000 each. It makes no difference. There are protocols like that. And there will be protocols which don't care about economics, which care about decentralization. And there will be protocols which say that no US validators. Okay, that's something that they want to use. They, they, they can use it. Some protocols will say, I want only US validators because I want to be under the jurisdictional compliance. I think all we want to do is to enhance the expressivity in the free market. And we think of ourselves as a marketplace for decentralized trust. And when you build a marketplace for an, a new thing, which is not at a commodity, one of the things you want to do is to grade the commodity, either yourself or have other people grade it and use it subjectively. And as a protocol, we don't take the position of grading it. So we are uniform, neutral. We are neutral to the extent that we accept all each staking. So that's the that's the the, the kind of uh, scope of how we think about it. This is super interesting. It's like customizable security. I, um, I really like the concept. All right. Um, so we're going to discuss um, a lot more about staking and security issues. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 80 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, trade, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere and get rewarded at every step. Up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. 
They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Back to my conversation with Sri Raman Constantine. So we talked a lot about um, restaking, and I just want to fill out a little bit on the liquid staking side because there's different types of liquid staking as well. And I wondered also now with with withdrawals enabled, like what else is on the horizon in the liquid staking arena? Constantine, can you take that? Yeah, first of all, I think when withdrawal is available, it is like, first of all, the market can be more competitive, you know, like why? Because it's more for new liquid staking solution, for example, it's more easy to have some liquidity to withdraw from them, for example. And also like uh, another thing that still, you know, like to build like decentralized network, to build healthy network, you need features. And some features are still not here. For example, like I mentioned about uh, withdrawals that can be run by smart smart contract or by the user uh, initiated withdrawals or and some others. Because, you know, like I think that it is a lot of great developers who want to build liquid staking, who already build in liquid staking. And uh, they still have a lot of assumptions or like issues, not because they don't want to build a great product or like to be to, be, to build more decentralized product or to be more or better product because it's just impossible because they depend on the protocol. I mean, the withdrawals available, it's already like one, we, we have a couple more features and it will be more simple. Also, I think that uh, people will try to take more leverage and their cheap ease lending will be, uh, uh, how uh, I mean, finished, you know, like because if your ease is not staked or like uh, if, if it's put on the lending protocol, people will take loan under the staked ease and loan some ease and stake it again. And so the, the, the lending price will go up. And uh, and it will be like almost the same, you know, like depends on the risk again, because as I told you again, when you put in any DeFi protocol, in any like platform, it's always additional risk. And we still, still, still speak about risk more. And uh, uh, also I think that we are restaking will be available. This is also like a great feature. And uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I mean that uh, this is a bright future to, First of all, like keep Ethereum permissionless and censorship resistant because, you know, like LIDAR, for example, has a purpose and mission to keep uh, like Ethereum permissionless and uh, uh, censorship resistant. If not LIDAR, someone else, that's great. You know, like the question is that what we need is like to keep Ethereum like, because when you stake, you get, I don't know, depends on the, uh, like how much nodes, how much is staked and depends on the, how much, transaction was done, you have about like 4% reward, for example, per, per year APR. And, uh, but that's, it's how to say, that's good for long-term people who are really ready to commit to Ethereum security. But if, for example, you make your network centralized, if you make it like permissioned and censored, for example, by MEV or any other partner, you just disrupt the network, the value, in what you believe, 
for what you build and make from that just state machine or like database. And what I try to say here is that all this development and mature of Ethereum protocol make more competition, more features, and make it like so decentralized, unbelievable, you know, like, and so great that and unstoppable. Uh, and uh, yeah, so like uh, this is what's happening and really make everyone who is contributing, who is working on it happy. So, and then one thing that I was wondering when I was um, doing some research, because um, also there's talk of like super fluid staking. So can you just define that? So super fluid staking is this idea that, so normally the way liquid staking works is you go to, you first go stake in Ethereum and then have a liquid staking derivative issued on top, right? Super fluid staking was an idea introduced in, uh, I think, uh, to go in the reverse direction. First, you stake in an application and then use that to stake in a protocol. And this was kind of popularized by Osmosis, where you can take a liquidity provisioning token and then go and stake that in the core protocol. Of course, we cannot do that on Ethereum because, you know, to do this, the core protocol needs to respect that particular, like, you know, application token. And of course, Ethereum's not going to allow, like, you know, some... Uh, some other uh, LP token to be staked into Ethereum. So that's not a thing that, that can is possible. But something like that is possible on Eigenlayer. Like you can take a Steeth or a Steeth ETH like uh, Curve or some other LP token and then take that and then deposit it potentially into Eigenlayer. Because now what happens is because you have Steeth, you're getting the Ethereum yield. Because you have the liquidity provisioning, you're getting a yield from that. And then you're potentially getting a yield from like eigenlayers. So this is like a maximal yield cascade. Like you're going through like all these three things. And again, things like this, eigenlayer does not take a position because we don't want to say what is the risk profile. ST3ETH is maybe lower risk. Maybe ST2USDC is a different kind of risk. Maybe some other thing is much more risk, right? And this is up to each of the services building on top of eigenlayer to decide what kind of like, you know, a staking collateral to accept. And so this is what would be called superfluid staking is basically the idea that you are going through like a DeFi or some other protocol and take a kind of like a derivative token and then stake that. And the way Eigenlayer is structured is all kinds of tokens in the Ethereum ecosystem can be staked. And that's, you know, the vision is kind of be a security hub, like validation hub, for all of the Ethereum-like ecosystem. So one thing that, um, and this is, we kind of talked about this when we were talking about like the trade-off with the risks, but I wondered, you know, just hearing all this, it makes me think about how kind of like every little change you make could be an attack vector. And especially like in DeFi, we've seen the more composable things are, like there's a lot of kind of unexpected ways for exploits to happen. So um, you know, obviously Eigenlayer is on testnet at the moment, but I'm when, I'm wondering, like, what are some attack vectors you see there? And so we'll start with that with for Eigenlayer. I think the kind of things I am personally most worried about are basically because to the extent that we are completely permissionless, Eigenlayer is completely permissionless, what could happen is somebody comes and builds a protocol on top and it either has like a malicious slashing condition, right? That would be an attack vector. Or that protocol itself is just badly designed. It's like a Luna or something. Like, you know, it just uses the 
eigenlayer collateral uses that issues some other like crazy stablecoin and then like it has some leverage loop these are absolutely unpredictable and i think that i would completely agree with you that just like restaking was unpredictable and then once it's that it's kind of like mev or liquid staking that you know you don't see it and then once you see it it's like oh of, of course it, <laughs> it is needed and it is important and you know you don't know what are all the downstream consequences of that and i think that's the same thing we feel with eigenlayer the way we try to mitigate this is by like i mentioned earlier having this two tier system where one tier is more closely guarded and much lower risk and now if you want to build something on another tier which is completely permissionless but the first tier will be permissioned right in in the sense of like if there is a committee and the committee has to approve these things and to convince the staker to go to the second tier you know it, it, most stakers may not take that step but you know if there's a very strong protocol very interesting protocol somebody might and so those are the kinds of risks so at least we want to kind of segregate them rather than at you know everything's aggregated and it's very confusing for people to deal with and constantine what about you what are some of the different attack vectors that you're um looking out for on the liquid staking side yeah when we look on any like smart smart contract development I think the biggest risk is smart contracts in any like application, like Angular or like any other, you know, like. And there, of course, you, I mean, like any DAO or entity is try to make the biggest amount of audits, you know, like. But still, I mean, this is I think the most dangerous, the more complex a code base, uh, the more risk it is. Right, but is there anything like similar to a fifty-one percent attack that is? kind of a known thing that you guys are trying to avoid? No, I mean, like, uh, it can be like just a bug, like in any DeFi protocol, you know, like uh, that is, uh, I, I think, there's a risk. The second, of course, uh, when you like, uh, I, I think like, in also like the question, I mean, like for three ROM here is like how they work with their uh, nothing on stake attack, for example. Yes, if uh, someone like delegate there is stake this to some operator they're running some software you know like and uh, uh they don't have stake and how and they for example start to be really big and they have a, for example large amount of mev or like uh, they can collude so how how you work with it our approach so basically the question is how does eigenlayer kind of incentivize the alignment between delegator and like the person who take it and they are the, basically the operator and the staker and yeah eigenlayer takes a very purist view it's like ethereum we do not give any assurance of any operator just like ethereum if you are staking if you are delegating it's on your head like if you don't delegate to people that you don't trust right it's the same model on on eigenlayer we do not give any assurances that's why it's very different from a liquid stake a liquid staking mm-hmm. protocol has to think through like the delegation risk and understand whether it's real world trust whether it's insurance whether it is you know crypto economic security some set of like features that actually lock the the node operator into correct compliance this is not this is out of scope of the eigenlayer design eigenlayer allows you to specify who you are delegating to but the trust you need to trust the person you are delegating to otherwise to not delegate and we see because we want to keep this as close to the 
Ethereum protocol as possible. So, so the way we think about Eigenlayer is is just a staking extension, or programmable staking extension of the Ethereum protocol. So it's very tight, very very similar to the Ethereum protocol in that we have no delegation incentives. So any delegation incentive is either built by the free market, like Lido built the kind of liquid staking protocol on top of Ethereum. You know, protocols like that may basically just opt into Eigenlayer and then like essentially solve that problem for the market. Or, you know, there'll be a delegation ecosystem that emerges, which which is, you know, which solves that. But it's out of scope for the native. Eigenlayer itself provides no assurance on delegation. And then one question that I had about Lido is, um, and this has been something that um, people have talked about for a while, but there's been concerns that Lido could like effectively almost become like a governance layer for Ethereum. And, you know, currently out of all the liquid staking tokens, it does have 75% share. So are there things that Lido is doing to try to mitigate that? Yeah, first of all, I, sh- I, I didn't finish with risk. And that was the second risk that I want to mention. Like one of the risks of liquid staking is, uh, for example, because uh, the logic is uh, of Ethereum is still, how to say, in progress, you know, like, and for example, you don't have some features, you can't, uh, oh, I mean, it's all. Uh, I mean, it's really difficult to to make now uh, fully like ossification of the protocol. Yes, when uh, and so you have some proxy to upgrade this protocol. And now, for example, uh, all the protocols, not all, but almost all, has an upgrade feature of these smart contracts, and they can, you know, like try to attack, you know, like in this way. So. Uh, uh, this uh, governance token, they has this power. For example, on LIDAR forum, on LIDAR research, you can read the research about a feature called dual governance. And in this dual governance feature can give this proxy, this, or I, I mean, this is, in my opinion, big idea, you know, like, why it's big idea? Because before it, nobody ha- had a solution for agent issue. And, uh, and here, uh, LIDAR can gave the permission to upgrade or like to veter the upgrade of smart contracts that connected with staking of Ethereum to stake its users. And it means that if Lido will try to attack uh, Ethereum or like Ethereum users, the staked Ethereum users who are really like has something on stake, you know, like they can stop this upgrade. Uh, it's not in, pro- in production, it's in, still in research, but uh, as I know, like guys are working on it, you know, like actively. And uh, this really like powerful. You can, you can, you know, like for example, think about 1970s when Nixon canceled gold standard. You can imagine if other USD holders can have a better power to not make it, what they would do? Would they like vote or not? Or they were scammed? And before it wasn't possible to program, you know, like regulation. And I think what blockchain give, but not a lot of DeFi protocols or other protocols use it right now, they give an option to make technology regulation. And this is a big revolution when you can regulate something by writing smart contracts. And it's even like better than, better than like current regulation because in a like a real regulation, sometimes uh, some people make hard decision, like to cancel a standard, uh, to because they have like 
I mean, some big reason for it, yes? And a lot of other people, they lose value because of that. And in case of, uh, and with this dual governance feature, it will, if, for example, somebody will implement it for USD dollar back then, it would be impossible. And that's what really blockchain and make it. But the question, yeah, it, is it risk? Yes, it is. Yeah. And one other thing um, that I think is a risk with Lido is since it follows a custodial model, um, you know, for the user that could obviously result in them losing access to their ETH. So are there plans to address that? As I know, Lido is not non-custodial. Uh, and it, it, I, I mean, it doesn't a custodial solution, but you users, know, like it's either. They don't, they don't retain it, control it, it, over their private keys. Yeah, no, I mean, users deposit, like, I, well, I mean, like, Lido is a middleware, you know, like, what is Lido? Lido is a middleware. You use a, a smart contract system. You put ETH inside, then, uh, like, uh, this ETH is staked with some of the validator in a list, and then you can, I mean, like, after the Lido to upgrade, uh, when withdrawals will be available, you can burn staked ETH and get your ETH. In general, it's self-custody solution. So, so you don't. So the whole time, user the user has access to their private keys. Yes, yes, of course. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was that they are giving it to the validator. Uh, Lido run. Uh, I mean, Lido run by DAO, and it is a smart contract system. When you stake your is, it's going to validators, but validators need to initiate withdrawals. You know, like to withdraw their is to. Uh, the smart contracts uh, where the user can withdraw, but it's fully like self custody. No validator, validators can still is that staked with them. They can slash it uh, on. Okay, interesting. For some reason, I thought that there was a point in time where they did not have access to their private keys. So I guess I uh, had a misunderstanding about that. No, in, in the beginning, you know, like when Lido launched. It wasn't an option when smart contract run, you know, like uh, uh, can or can hold withdrawal keys. And when Lido launched, it was a key that was created by eleven different founders of big DeFi protocols like Curve Maker, uh, uh, like uh, Curve Maker, and uh, others. You know, like and they make and they have a BLS signature. It's like a multi-sig on Bitcoin chain. And that hold like about 10% of all ETH that was there. But when withdrawals were available, uh, these people rotated. I mean, they can't withdraw, but uh, I I mean, they they, uh, signed a transaction and rotated these keys to LIDAR smart contracts. Okay. Okay. So people retain their private keys and they're just interacting with the smart contract. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, so let's circle back to Sri Ram earlier. You said that you could go into something called supra staking, if I remember correctly, or I don't remember the term. What was the term? Super fluid staking or no? The, no, that's... no. It was earlier super than that. Happy. You said. Oh. Yeah. What yeah, was it? I was saying that. Uh, I was saying that. Usually, it's a subset of Ethereum security that you would get from from Eigenlayer, but you know. There are places where you could get a superset or more than Ethereum security. Yeah, uh, how does that work? Right. Okay, so if you just take decentralization, then it's even easier. For example, uh, you know, one of the things people say is, okay, you know, there are uh, 
8,000, 10,000 distinct validators in Ethereum, but, you know, a small number of them, like, control a majority. But you could just, you know, in and you could run a protocol on top of Eigenlayer where you only have, like, the more decentralized committee. So if you just measure on decentralization, your protocol can actually have more decentralization. If you ask how many nodes are needed to get to 50% of your protocol, that could be a much larger number. So that's one simple way in which you could get more uh, more security than Ethereum or more decentralization or more effective decentralization. And this is, I think we think of this as an incentive for more decentralization to occur because, you know, the more decentralized nodes exist, then they have this potential ability to earn these additional rewards. But it is not easy, like I think Constantin pointed out, to like measure which are the more decentralized nodes. And it's a subjective thing. And it's not something Eigenlayer is itself planning to do, whereas other protocols may be built whose speciality is in doing it. And depending on whether there is demand for decentralization versus demand for staking, pure economics, different people may use different things. And in fact, I think even Ethereum itself, right? It's So when we talk about, oh, is li liquid staking a risk for Ethereum? It's because the protocol has defined some rules, which is basically, you know, how much ETH is staked determines how much reward you get. Like that is the protocol rules. And everybody is just playing by the protocol rules. It's not like anybody is like modifying the protocol rules. Everybody's playing by the protocol rules. But the protocol has no internal way to detect, say, decentralization and reward it. But, but certain aspects of the Ethereum protocol require decentralization and censorship resistance, for example. And because the protocol is underspecifying the constraints, because the protocol has not specified that it needs decentralization and because decentralization is not objectively measurable. And that is what is leading to these unseen second-order effects, like which we do not know how to control. And one way that uh, something like Eigenlayer can play a role there is because it is adding on additional incentives that can drive like different demands for different kinds of nodes, you know, uh, both existing protocols can, existing stakers can opt to become more decentralized because there is an additional reward for being more decentralized, whether that is geographic, whether that is stake itself comes from distinct sources, there is no common point, smart contract risk, whatever it is that the applications define as decentralized, that is what will end up as being an objective. But also, I think there is a counterforce, which is some applications may want enterprise-grade validators, like because they just that's what they care about. They care about real world trust. And the emergent set of features from a system like uh, Eigenlayer is quite interesting and unpredictable. And I, I don't I don't know what, what it would be. But the thing that I wanna say is we are letting the market value the different aspects of trust differently. Like the aspect of economics, the aspect of decentralization, the aspect of KYC. These are all different aspects of trust and they'll be valued very differently by the market. Super interesting. All right. So I know Eigenlayer, I think, expects to be live on Mainnet and Q3. Is that still the case? That is correct. Okay. All right. So why don't we just talk a little bit about what it is that we're looking forward to when it comes to staking or like what developments you're watching in the staking slash restaking world for the next, I don't know, through the rest of the year? Uh, you know, like, uh, first of all, I think that uh, MEV is really important, you know, like, and PBS, uh, I, I mean, it's because for now, uh, it is a market 
you know, like where people are trying to uh, exec- or extract MEV, you know, like, and there are, it is relayers who give, you know, like, or blocks to validators and validator signs these blocks. But it is a lot of discussion around that. For example, you can look on Sushi Drama that somebody like stolen is, then they use internet MEV, you know, like, and uh, I mean, and I think that this is one of the like piece that should be fixed. And it is a lot of work that should be done there on protocol level. And maybe even like this MEV should be burned, you know, like, and then it will make the situation much better. And uh, yeah, I think Justin Drake is proposing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. it should be discussed, you know, and yeah, yeah. I see. I, 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 I'm, for example, think that it's a great story. Why? Because in other way, if it will be like parties who make a decision around that, that can be a mess, you know, like, so it should be done on a protocol level. I mean, like uh, regulation quality, you know, like, because it's a, a lot of questions about like legal status and discussion. Yes, uh, that I want to touch, but I think it's important. And also like uh, tax treatment of of staking uh, that will make really adoption better. And uh, uh, I I mean like... uh, What are the issues there with the tax treatment? Uh, I mean like it's not clear, you know, like how to tax or for example, staking rewards, uh, should it be daily or like uh, uh, what type of, uh, for example, you know, like you have different type of liquid staking uh, uh, tokens, you know, like that. Um, for example, Acure Value or Ebased. And it's also like not clear clarity right now. B- better clarity and better regulation will make it more available, you know, like for people to participate in security, you know, like of Ethereum. Also, and also like more developers will build more solutions and that will be better for everyone. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean like... Uh, it's can, it's also like this uh, uh, withdrawal. I mean, withdrawal initiation exits. You know, like by smart contracts and by users. That's important. I mean, small feature. It's not like uh, innovations, but it's that should be done. Um, and uh, but in general, I think that uh, staking will be really how to say. Uh, for me, I, I, of course, it, it's. I mean, it will be like different other uh, markets. Uh, that, for example, Svira mentioned, like data availability, maybe like uh, for, it will be a uh, decentralized sequencer markets, it will be like um, MEV markets, oracles, where it will be used. But again, and but I, I don't see, you know, like in this mechanic, a lot of innovations, you know, like it's, I mean, it's not a lot of what we can do there. It's just a mechanic. Uh, but uh, what are, are interesting is, and what I really like always try to mention is risk that, and when you like take more risk, I mean, and when it's composable, you should think about different attack vectors and what Eigenlayer and other people who will use risk taking, they need to make a lot of research and make a lot of innovations, you know, like how to work with this composable risk, how, what will happen if, for example, your operator slashed 100% and you're running another networks. I mean, maybe this is edge cases, but it can happen. And, uh, and they're all like, you have like a big 
uh, networks that for and a lot of is restaked and it's uh, start to find uh, like a lot of value because they can for example slash this network and then you slash a lot of validators on ethereum that also can happen so this is our i mean different composition of staking with other restaking efficiency yeah, that's definitely interesting uh, to look yeah this is a super interesting uh, points i think uh how to understand composition of risk between ethereum and like other other things that could be built on top i disagree with constantine on the premise that like things like mev and oracle are not that innovative i think there's like a lot of crazy things that can be built yeah. on top of these things but the base layer needs to be safe and secure i also agree with constantine on that that actually the uh, the risk management on the base layer needs to be very sound only then you can start building other things much more uh safely on top and a basic question there is how much of leverage that you can take and what is leverage i think is itself not quantified for example right now on ethereum we have 35 billion dollars of staking and you have you know 500 billion dollars of assets why is this okay it's okay i think but it needs a theory for why it's okay and we need to understand why it is okay is, is it over leveraged is it under leveraged if it's already over leveraged maybe we should not build something more like i can and that's correct and that's that's the view we take actually we think it's under leveraged you can actually use security for more things as well as more staking is coming up i we don't think like the 35 billion of eth is the staking it's going to expand massively over the coming years and the questions about how to divide like the uh, risk across these different layers how to make sure that there is a common view like if something happens bad on some layer how does the other layers respond to it how to make sure that nobody assumes that they have more security than they actually have so this i think i want to separate into two minor parts like one part of eigen layer is what we call pooled security pooled security is let's say there's 10 billion dollars of stake and there is 10 or 10 protocols built on top right all of them basically this 10 billion dollars is validating all of these 10 protocols so the shared security of each of these 10 protocols is 10 billion dollars why because to attack any one protocol now i need to attack the 10 billion dollars this is already like really useful and in fact this is ethereum's model today why do i say that on top of ethereum let's say there are 10 applications like each of the applications don't have attributable security uniswap doesn't get like out of the 35 billion they don't get like 10 billion just for uniswap that's not how it works it's just shared across all these different services all these dapps and there's no attributable security to each application built on top of ethereum that's the same way that eigen layer v1 works is there's no attributable security to any one application built on top the v2 that we are already like doing research on which is you know trying to address issues like composability of risk has attributable security like if you have 10 protocols built on top each protocol can have a portion of the 10 billion depending on how much they are willing to pay for it attributable to them so when it gets slashed they get access to a portion of the slashed funds depending on how much premium they are willing to pay so understanding these markets understanding their like fundamental effects on ethereum itself these are all things we are actually quite excited about and also how ethereum's staking and rewards can itself be tuned based on an understanding of the second order consequences is something we are uh, quite excited about yeah All one right. point oh. i forgot to mention you know like is dvt you know like distributed validation technology why because first of all i mean first of all you know like some uh, professional validators are already used so they have teams for example because you know like always a question who is 
holding the keys, you know, like, and to not hold the keys by one person because, uh, if, for example, it's a big staking company, uh, like, for example, P2P, you know, like, and uh, uh, the question is, and I am, like, a founder of it, but I'm not holding all the keys by myself. And the question is how to hold the keys. It's either, like, one way is to have a hardware secure model, you know, like that holding these keys, and but it's still a lot of attacks that can be done uh, internally, you know, like, or like if somebody will get access to your uh, machine. And the, and for that, you know, like our large validators already use Vouch and uh, they also like distribute the key to many, like DevOps, for example. And they are, and to sign the block, uh, I mean, this DevOps uh, sign it together. And so nobody has w- one key, you know, like to, uh, for example, uh, destroy uh, this validator or like to make. Uh, the double sign and this dvt technology will go to the masses you know like when more you know like the, the problem of staking that the like more complex the staking the more it's centralized you know like and this is a big issue of staking then more, for example polka dot staking is really complex why because you need i mean how it's work uh, how rewards work that it's distributed to for example top 300 like no node operators in the same amount. And it means that the best strategy is to distribute to the last one. And because of that, the last one has the biggest APR. And for example, P2P, because it has a good technical team, build a special software that every time, every epoch, redistributes this uh, stake to, you know, like uh, last one. And that's how P2P talk, for example, 10% or even bigger market share in Polkadot. Is it bad for uh, centralization? Yes, bad. Uh, and uh, it's really bad, yes. But uh, is it for, but for uh, like some companies, they try to execute or take more revenue. And the question is, first of all, it should be open and people should disclose and different other validators that knows they run. And when, you know, like we will have, for example, sharding on Ethereum, it will be even more complex to run a node. And this, you know, like how to say, for, for uh, staking providers, it will be more harder to run the nodes. And maybe it will be like examples where part of the keys will hold by professional validators like P2P, Blogram, like, and others. And part of the keys will be run by users. For example, you can run uh, your node in your home. And if, if it's just was switch off by some reason, you know, like it's the node is still signing because other parties are signing. And for example, somebody from P2P like uh, call you like Laura, how like what's happened? <laughs> you need to switch off your box back and uh, pay for electricity or what else. And then it starts to work uh, again. Yeah. And uh, I think that innovation in DVT is still, and also you should understand that you can't use one DVT solution because if it is a bug there, the part of the network can go down. And so it should be like different players on DVT market at the same as with clients, you know, like you have in Ethereum, you have a lot of clients. And if one drop down, you can move your to another client. And also, uh, I want to mention uh, that it is like great companies, for example, in DVT, it's like Obol, SSV, and others who is working on it. And also it is a like company who are building boxes, you know, like for uh, for users, it's like Depnote and some other, yes, and uh, they are great because they give a person who is not has skills to run a node by themselves. And I think that re- to make it really like network decentralized, we need like more innovation here. Maybe like we like, need to more funding here to 
I don't know, you put a small server in your home, put in there like in a plug and uh, it starts just work. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, that is important. Yep. All right. Well, um, this has been a really interesting discussion. There's honestly so much that we could unpack. Um, I'm sure we'll be revisiting issues around staking and restaking in the future. But in the meantime, where can people learn more about each of you and your work? Please follow us on Twitter at Eigenlayer. Uh, there's also a discourse forum, forum.eigenlayer.xyz, and a Discord, uh, please, uh, you know, which is linked from our Twitter. So please go ahead and uh, follow on these things. My personal Twitter ID is at Sriram Cannon. So please uh, follow that. Yeah, our, I think Twitter is the best place, you know, like where you can uh, read and also follow and communicate. Well, and uh, because, you know, like I'm building, I'm building a lot of different projects and we are building, for example, decentralized RPC and so on, many others, yes. And, uh, uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, so like soon we will announce, you know, like a, a general like entity, like investment entity, uh, cyber fund, uh, that, you know, like, uh, and, we will try to make all the communication, you know, my communication and my focus will be there. Yep. Okay, great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you both on Unchained. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura, Constantine. Pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Sriram, Constantine, Eigenlayer, and Lido, and the state of Ethereum staking, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, Kevin Fuchs, Matt Pelchard, Zach Seward, Juan Aranovich, Sam Sriram, Ginny Hogan, Jeff Benson, Leandra Camino, Pema Jimdar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Thank you.